0: tells a story of taking his adopted 8-year-old daughter to Disney World. Now, the thing you need to know about the little girl is that she had previously been adopted by another family, but it didn't work out. They had never been able to get her and their biological children to, to really blend together. And so after a couple of years, they dissolved the adoption, and the Jones family stepped in, And they adopted her into their own family. Now, for one reason or another, this girl had never gone to Disney World when her previous family had gone on family trips. She had usually been left out of family, friends. And and in her mind, at least, she believed that it was because of something that she had done wrong that she was always left. And so the little girl had heard a lot about Disney World. She'd heard about the characters and the rides, and she'd heard about, you know, all the parades and the fireworks and all the things that go on. But she would never actually passed through the gates of the Magic Kingdom herself. She'd always been left on the outside. Now, when her new adoptive family found out about this, they made plans immediately. Family trip, we're going to Disney World. But in the weeks leading up to the trip, the little girl just behaved terribly. Like she would steal food when she could have just as easily asked for a snack. She would tell a lie when it would have been just as easy to tell the truth. And she was really mean to her older sister, really, really cruel, saying all kinds of things. And as the days for the trip got closer, her mutinies multiplied. And this is what her father wrote, and I quote him. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, I pulled our daughter into my lap to talk through her latest escapade. I know what you're going to do, she stated flatly. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? The thought hadn't actually crossed my mind, but her downward spiral suddenly started to make some sense. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the magic kingdom. She had tried and failed that test several times before. So she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from what to her was the most magical place on earth. I was tempted to turn her fear to my own advantage. The easiest response would have been, if you don't start behaving better, you're right. We won't take you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded, her big brown eyes rimmed with tears. Are you part of this family? She nodded again. Then you're going with us. Yes, there may be some consequences to help you remember what's right and what's wrong but you're part of our family, and we're not leaving you behind. Her behavior didn't get better as the days approached. In fact, it got even worse, and the trip in the car down was terrible, terrible, terrible. But the family went as they promised, and and they experienced all the things you experience at Disney World, overpriced tickets and overpriced terrible food, right? Right? And long lines under the hot Florida sun and just enough manufactured magic to make you think maybe we'll go back tomorrow. <laughs> and then Joan says this, and I quote him again. In our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, and a little weepy at times, but her month-long facade of rebellion had faded. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, Held her and asked her, So, how was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes and snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn. After a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly and said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good, it's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good, it's because I'm yours. Friends, that's the gospel. That's what grace is. It's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. In fact, we we earn and deserve exactly the opposite. What we earn and what we deserve would be punishment, judgment, and yet grace runs after us. Not on our best days, on our worst days. Grace pursues us. God's love is a one-way outpouring. Even when we turn a middle finger up to Him, He still comes after us, seeking us to make us His own. You don't secure anything with God by being good. You simply have to receive the gift that He offers. You simply have to receive it. Know this, that God has chosen you at great cost to Himself to make you a part of His family through His Son, Jesus Christ. The question is, will you respond? Now last week, we celebrated the day of Pentecost and and we heard about... Well, we heard about the Spirit of God being poured out on that Pentecost day. And in the midst of it, Peter stood up and gave his first sermon, quoting the prophet Joel. He said, in the last days, the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh, on men and on women, on the young and on the old. Like every distinction we could imagine that would set up barriers between us and Us and God are being broken down in these last days as God seeks to build a family through his son, Jesus Christ. And Peter said, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As he went on, he continued to talk about the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And the people, as they listened to the message, it says that they were cut to the heart and they had to respond. They said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is building a family. Grace is available. It comes through His Son, Jesus. Ours is simply to receive the gift. And he gives us the gift in return of himself, the Holy Spirit, who takes up residence within us and begins an inside job for the rest of our lives in creating us and reforming us and shaping us and changing us to be like Jesus. Make no mistake, you will not take your career to heaven with you, but you will take your character shaped by God, prepared for eternity. Jesus said, I'm the gate to God's magic kingdom. But it's not manufactured magic. It's actually the true magic, as C.S. Lewis would say. It's the glorious kingdom of God. And you enter it by faith, and then you are saved. These people were suddenly brought into the family of God. It says 3,000 of them repented and were baptized that day. The Spirit of God came into their lives and made them a new people, something completely new on the earth. No longer rebels, no longer waifs or orphans, but beloved daughters and cherished sons. They became part of something bigger than themselves. And friends, make no mistake, the New Testament knows nothing of an isolated Christian life. It knows the family of God. It knows those of us who have been saved by grace and made one with him. And guess what? With each other for all of eternity. And it begins now. If you will, take out your scripture insert. Maybe it'll be on the screens. We're just going to look at a couple of these verses to see what happened to them following the day of Pentecost. Probably some verses you've heard before. We begin at Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice, they devoted themselves. It's a word that's powerful. It's, it's, it's this word devoted. It's, it's, it's got an ongoingness. It, it, you could say they continually devoted themselves. This is not like a one-time event, like you go to a concert down the street, and then it's over and you go on about your life. This is not like going to a match or to a game and when it's over, that's it. There's an ongoingness to the devotion with which they had to God and for this community that was gathering. It was constant and purposeful and intentional and with resolve. Think for a minute about a young man and a young woman courting one another. There's, there's intention, there's purpose, there's resolve. Like young men will do things that their, their guy friends would never imagine they would do when they're chasing after a girl. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A couple of you used to be one of those. There's a, there's a devotedness. Think about somebody who's a, a, a young man, a woman on a, on a sports team. Could be soccer, could be baseball, football. You, you know the kind of devotion that goes into crafting your sport and being willing to to suffer even because you know it's building your game and it's growing your skills and you're willing to put up with hardship along the way because you know it's going to pay off. If you just stay the course, that's devotion. They were devoted, it says, to the apostles' teaching. Now, we know that to be the scriptures, but it would be just too easy to say, read your Bibles, and suddenly we're into behavioralism. Christian behavioralism kills. I'm for reading your Bibles, but notice they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. These people are desperate to know Jesus. The apostles had walked with Jesus, and they had spent time with Jesus, and they had seen Jesus before the cross and after the cross. They'd seen Him in His resurrection, and they wanted to know, tell us everything there is to know about Jesus. We want to know Him. We want to engage Him. We want to know what does it mean to be in the kingdom? What does it mean to be His people? What rights do we have? What authority can we stand in in this world? What should we stay away from above all other things? We want to be God's people doing life God's way. That's devotion to the apostles' teaching. And as that word of God shaped their minds, it affected the way they lived. And that's far greater than simply do's and don'ts. I'm all for do's and don'ts as long as they're grounded in the grace of the presence of the Spirit of God. God will take the Word of God by the Spirit of God and change you if you will allow Him. Because here's the thing, friends, our minds need to be transformed along the way. We've been shaped by the world. And we're getting discipled by the culture through our social media. Do you spend as much time in the Word of God as you do thumbing on your phone? If not, then you're getting more discipled by the world than you are by the Word of God, by the apostles' teaching. And and I just give you the challenge to start balancing those things out or else you'll end up making really poor decisions. You'll You'll have negative discernment along the way. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, not passive hearers. They were active and they were devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And I won't spend too long on this one. I think we kind of get this one. This is kind of what we're doing here today. We're going to break the bread. We're praying all through this service. Some of you are praying even now. Thank you, by the way. I want to just say one thing about this. Is are you as devoted to your time in worship among the community of God as you are to sports and to, to weekend trips? To outings. This is, this is not a condemnation thing. But I've observed something in the last few years that often it's the parents who are shouting the loudest about what's wrong with our culture, whether they're on the left or they're on the right, how the culture is going to pot, who aren't seeding into the hearts of their own children how important it is to be in worship. Do your kids know it's more important to be here on a Sunday than to be anywhere else? Because here's the thing, if you're not sowing in action to go with the words you say, yes, our church is important to us, but our action says something else, you're sowing in the demise of your own children in time. And you're sowing in the demise of our culture, which you're raging about so much, because as the local church goes, so goes our nation. The local church fails, guess what? Doesn't matter how much money we have just doesn't matter they were devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers and they were devoted to community everybody say community the word there is fellowship so you can say that word fellowship and here's your trivia uh, answer you're welcome koinonia everybody say koinonia Koinonia. that's the greek word for fellowship you're welcome you'll have that when you need it down the road on a trivia game somewhere you're going to go oh yeah koinonia i remember that one Koinonia. They were devoted to the Koinonia. God gave me a picture of what devotion to Christian community is like. A lot of people think that it's kind of like this, this tennis ball. Can you see the balls in there? Like, yeah, they're, they're together, right? But they're really safe. And, th- you know, the ball on this side never has to talk to the ball on that side. And there's the ball in the middle who gets kind of banged into by both sides. That's Jonathan or me, maybe. (laughs) It's very safe. It's pretty contained. It's nice and stable. You know, unless I shake it, they're not moving at all. That's what often I think we envision church and community is to be like. But but it's not like that at all. Actually, it's more like this jar of blueberries I've got here. Can you see those? Yeah, I, I brought props today. Isn't that fun? Like, there's one, you could pick out one blueberry and it'd be great, but you know what, a whole mouthful of these is fantastic. And something happens as they rub together over time. These blueberries become wine. If you leave them in there long enough, they're going to make something intoxicating. We are Anglicans, by the way. (laughs) Right? Something intoxicating is going to come, and it's going to produce joy in those who drink it. That's more like what koinonia is, a devotion to allowing our lives to become interconnected, rubbing together. And this is hard for us because of who we are culturally. Because most of us haven't seen it. Most of us are afraid of it. In fact, many of us get very, very successful in life by never letting anybody in to the places of our hurt, our brokenness, our sorrows. Here's my question to you. Would you say the way you deal with life in the church is more like this or more like that? And you don't have to answer out loud. We'll just let that be a picture from the Lord to us today. They were devoted to the fellowship. This is one of the reasons why we talk so much about life groups at Holy Cross. It, it, remember... Let me just say this, life groups isn't the point. Life groups is the vehicle that allows space for us to grow together in the Word, knowing each other, praying with each other, engaging with each other. And guess what you'll find in a life group? People are hard to deal with. Because they're like me. But you know how you become like Jesus? It isn't when things are easy. It isn't when everybody agrees with you. It's when the Spirit of God enters into the uniqueness of a group of individuals and starts to make us into something greater than ourselves. That's koinonia. That's koinonia. You know, some years ago, we had the author, he's since deceased, Brennan Manning, speak at Holy Cross. And it was really a marvelous weekend. He he was, uh, was just... What a lovely man of God. And he told this story about these two friends who were sitting in a pub. And as he said, they were gloriously in their cups, which is a polite way of saying they'd had to put down a few. This is a very Anglican sermon today, by the way. All right, they were gloriously in their cups. They were a bit tipsy. We'll put it that way. And, and one guy, we'll call him Bill, says to his buddy Steve, I love you, man. And his buddy says, back what? Back what? I love you too. And then they kind of get into a competition. No, I love you. No, 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 no. I love you. I love you, man. And then Steve gets real serious. And he looks Bill in the eye and he says, okay, if you love me, what is it that hurts me? This buddy says, how would I know what hurts you? To which he responded, if you don't know what hurts me, how can you say you love me? Prince, does anybody in this church know what hurts you? The the invitation is to to be healed and to grow and to be shaped to be like Jesus. And love happens not not when it's easy, but when you're vulnerable, when you're honest. And this is not about a big emotion fest. I'm not talking about that. You don't have to go there. But, but I know, and I had a sense of the Lord saying as I was working on this, some of us have experienced the heartache of what we thought Christian community would be, and then it wasn't, and it's like we tossed the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not doing that again. That hurt. I get it. I'm a pastor in the church. I get hurt weekly. Because I deal with lots of people. But here's what I found when I forgive and when I enter in again, the sweetness of Jesus comes. It becomes intoxicating. The Spirit of God shapes and changes and molds and shapes and does something beautiful. Notice, if you look back at your text in verse, we'll just kind of look at 45 through 47 just real quickly. Notice what began to happen. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Like, like they're letting go of their stuff. Like they're, they're not driving to have the biggest house on the island anymore. They're like, how do I help the people in my community and around who are in need? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Notice they're in home together, not just on the premises. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. It's when the church is devoted to the apostles teaching, the breaking of bread and the prayers and the koinonia, the fellowship, the community, that God sees it as a delightful place to move And to add to their number day by day those who are being saved because it becomes so different from the world around us. And and people are drawn to it. And people go, what is that? And they're desperate for it. Because what do most of the people around us know? Broken families. Broken promises. Broken governments. And they're looking for something that isn't broken in this world. And they're trying to manufacture it and they can't. They're not intended to. But God can because He's building a family. One more and I'll I'll jump out. Some of you have heard of Francis Chan. He's a pastor and a a writer. I uh, heard something that he said some years ago in an interview, and it was so good I, I had to write it down. He was talking about a gang member who had wandered into his church, had come to faith in Christ, gotten baptized, walked away from the gang, and was in his church for a couple of months. And then he disappeared. And they went looking for the guy. And they found him, and they asked him, what gives? And and this is what he said. I'm going to quote him. I had the wrong idea of what church was going to be like. When I joined the church, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. See in the gangs we weren't just nice to each other once a week. We were a family. <laughs> we weren't just nice to each other. This is a person who knows what family's like, right? It's like you rub and you bump and you grow and you forgive. And you have kindness when you'd rather have something else. That's a word for somebody. We were a family. Remember the little girl at the beginning of my story? Adopted into the family of God not because she was good, but because of God's goodness. That's who we are. And here's my admonition. Here's what I work tirelessly. I, I get tired. This is what I work hard at. What, what I, I pray for and what I invite you and I pray God will give you vision for this is what Jonathan and, and all of our staff we work toward. What would it be like On Daniel Island, if Holy Cross truly became a spirit-filled community where grace is so powerfully present, where we're being changed day in and day out as we walk with God and each other, what would happen around here? It's already happening, but can you imagine the kind of effect that might go on in the lives of people who so desperately need it? They're the people who live across the street from you. And that you go to school with and they're lost and they're desperately in need of Jesus, though they may not know it or they've been given a caricature and they've not seen the real thing. What if we were the real thing? What if by God's grace, we ventured to be that? A lot of people have tried Christianity, but they haven't tried what's described in the text. That's my challenge to you today. That's the challenge I find myself living under. That's what we've been building this church to be for the last seven years. A community. A community living in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God.